Now hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory to On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. We heard with Jennifer and the children a glorious vision of the kingdom. And now I want you to hear again the vision of the church for which we prayed in our collect a few minutes ago. We prayed that we would be so illumined by word and sacrament that we may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory so that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed even to the ends of the earth. This vision of the church as the body that gathers together to be mutually strengthened by learning and participating in Christ and then is sent out in the glory of Christ to proclaim the presence of Christ in the culture around it is very much the vision that underlies the gospel, the epistles, and the revelation of John. As best we can tell, John writes to a community of Jewish Christians living in Asia Minor. These people find their heritage in the story of Israel. They believe Jesus to be the long-expected one, the Messiah, the Christ. They live in a society thoroughly steeped in Greco-Roman culture and ordered around the worship of pagan gods. John writes, in a way that recalls for this community the vision and promise of the Messiah from their Jewish heritage, while at the same time offering ways to invite their pagan neighbors to find the person of Jesus, find in him their own hope and vision. The Johannine texts are at the same time catechetical and evangelical. They teach, and they teach us to teach. Let's explore the dual purpose in our text 
today. We're still early in John's account. We've heard the great prologue. We've heard the testimony of John the baptizer and the calling of the first disciples, including one named Nathaniel, who will learn later when the risen Christ appears to the disciples that, they, that Nathaniel is from Cana of Galilee. And our text begins on the third day, whether we're first century or 21st century Christians, we're primed with this image or echo of what? On the third day, Christ rose from the dead. On the third day, Christ rose from the dead. So we're already reading the story in two frames. We're reading a story of what really happened in Cana of Galilee. We're going to hear a story that relates to Jesus the Christ, the resurrected and risen one. On this third day was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. We read this as a wedding, a community gathered together to celebrate. We hear the mother of Jesus, as well as Jesus and his disciples, are invited and present at this wedding. In our reading frame as Christians born and grafted into the messianic hope of Israel, primed to hear a resurrection story, we also read about the great wedding feast, that great eschatological feast when all things Sad come untrue, as we heard earlier, as we've heard in the prophets and that John describes in his revelation. We then hear the dialogue between Jesus and his mother as the wine runs out, a conversation between a mother and a son. And Jesus concludes, my hour has not yet come. John will tell us later, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem for the final time, immediately before his crucifixion, some Greeks come to him, and Jesus tells them, the hour has now come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so we also hear in this conversation about the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Jesus, already present in everyday life of the community, and yet, the fullness of the glory of the kingdom and the great wedding feast of the Lamb is still not yet. This is the now and not yet in which we dwell. Jesus present, the fullness of his glory still to come. We also find a gentleness and patience in the invitation to participate. Jesus is present and active at this wedding in Cana, and yet he is not fully known. He's known to the servants, but not to the chief steward. He's known to the disciples and his mother, but not to the rest of the guests. But, but when the hour is right, he will be manifest in the fullness of his glory. Jesus then instructs the servants to fill the stone jars used for the Jewish ritual washings with fresh water. Again, we read on the one level the mechanics of the miracle that Jesus will perform using simple materials, vessels of stone and fresh water. And on another level, we place ourselves in the audience 
as first-century Jewish Christians. We hear that the law and the tradition are not broken or discarded. Instead, they are baptized and transformed. We're challenged to see differently our past, our present, and our future. And this is reinforced as Jesus instructs the servants now to draw from the vessels this water that became wine and take it to the chief steward. We now add another several layers to our reading. John invites us to see Jesus as the fulfilling of wisdom tradition, the tradition of wisdom personified that we find in Proverbs, particularly Proverbs 8 and 9, in the wisdom of Sirach and the wisdom of Solomon, the traditions of the Jewish community. In this same wisdom tradition John has already primed us to see in the same way as the Logos tradition of Greek philosophy. The word, the Logos, becomes flesh and dwells among us. Jesus is the fulfillment of this tradition. And then in this wedding feast, as the wine is drawn, we hear wisdom call out, Come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine that I have mixed, leave your simple ways and live, walk in the way of insight. At Cana and at this table, Jesus stands as the embodiment of wisdom, the capital W, Wisdom literature. We also see Jesus standing against the temple of Dionysus. Dionysus second only in prominence to the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians within this region of Asia Minor. In much the same way that the plagues of the Exodus showed the God of Israel to be greater and more powerful than the gods of Egypt, Jesus outshines Dionysus. He transforms not just a cup of water into wine. He turns gallons and gallons, 120, 180, somewhere in there. That's a lot of wine from water. And it's not just any wine. This is really good wine. And John concludes this story with the proclamation. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. John will conclude his account of the good news of Jesus by telling us why he selected the particular signs that he did. He says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. This first sign, the disciples believed, and in believing they had life. We hear these signs, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in him we have life. So now, as we sit together with the first century readers of John's Gospel, how are we? called to be strengthened in community and sent out to invite others to hear the good news, to believe in his name and to have life.
Some of you have heard this before when I get on my little rant, but it bears repeating. The culture of the world around us continues to change as we move from modernity to post-modernity. The great beauty of the Reformation 500 years ago was the theological explanation of the eternal gospel in the terms of the emerging temporal philosophy we know now as modernity. Paul's forensic rhetoric was exactly the tool for the times. It answered the question of the times. But our time is changing. The answers of the Reformation theology are still true and good. However, the questions of our time are changing. I don't know that we have a full picture of the changes or a good handle on the questions. I certainly don't. But I think we sit in a place that's very close to the community to which John writes. And I think we can look to John for the answers to the questions of our time. John wrote to a community like ours, a community that doesn't quite find its place. The traditions and answers of youth are still good, but no longer sufficient. A new way of seeing is required. Perhaps we even find that the wine has run out. And the world around us tempts us with idols and even manufactures an illusion of power in their worship of these idols. Behind the scenes, wine is placed in baskets in a room that's said to be locked. On certain days, wine is pumped through the fountain. Everyone knows it's fake, but no one wants to disbelieve the illusion. I could list the idols that I see around us, but instead I invite you, watch and pray. See what idols you find that reach out to tempt you to find hope in a banquet other than the wedding feast of the Lamb. What idols tempt you to find life in something other than Christ? What idols tempt you to find identity in something other than as a beloved child of God? If we read the doom and gloom of many writers on religion today, we might hear the call to double down on the old ways, to fight for a small truth that remains true but becomes less and less relevant to the world around us and the questions of our day. Or we might hear the call to cast away all that has been as fatally flawed and worthless. Simply embrace the false promises of a new and better world built on paper idols. However, as we turn to John, we can hear the invitation to a different way. We hear an invitation to allow the Holy Spirit to baptize into new life the traditions not only the traditions of the Reformation, but the traditions of the whole church and the traditions of Israel. To fill them to the brim so that we may draw out wine that is very good, a wine fit for the wedding feast. We hear an invitation to come to this feast, prepared at this table, the now and not yet feast of the kingdom, to come and to know as Jesus is manifested in his glory, to believe and in believing to have life in his name. We hear an invitation 
to look to the world around us at the idolatry and deception, the searching and the seeking, the hunger and the darkness, to look and see the ways that Jesus is already present, the ways that Jesus is manifest as more, the way that Jesus and his church take the small promises and manufactured signs of the idols of this age and reveal them as petty illusions. Perhaps the greatest lie of our age says to us, if you do this, whatever I may be trying to sell you, if you do this, you will be good or popular or successful or enough. Jesus blows this out of the water. He tells us, because you know me, you know the Father, and because the Father loves you, you are his children, and you are enough. You are loved. Jesus tells us we don't need to seek and search because he has already found us. Jesus tells us we don't need to hunger for he is the bread of life. We don't need to fear darkness, for he is light. We don't need to fear death, for he has overcome and defeated death, that we may know life. May we who gather as a parish today, may we, all of us who gather together as the church in all times and all places, be illumined by word and sacrament. May we shine with the radiance of Christ's glory. May we go out in that same radiance and glory as a light to those who sit in darkness so that indeed Christ may be known, worshipped, and obeyed and glorified to the ends of the earth that we all may have life in his name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.